Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. This morning we are in Acts chapter 9. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 verse 1. We'll be looking at one of the greatest conversion stories ever recorded. When we consider how God reached Saul of Tarsus, we have to admit, if God can reach Saul of Tarsus, God can reach anyone. We're going to see that today. But as we study Saul's testimony and his account of his conversion, I want you to remember that God doesn't reach us and change us, nor do we come closer to God because of who we are. We are able to be loved by God, reached by God, changed by God because of who he is. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And now as we open your word, we desire to grow, we desire to be changed into your image, to be made more like you. Oh, Lord, you reached this man, this wicked man, and we realize when we look at his testimony that there simply is no end to your mercy and grace, that you have and can reach everyone who is willing to surrender to you at some point, and you will actually do whatever is necessary to break them. You've broken many of us. You've brought us to the place where we recognized the truth and cried out to you and were, and were saved. And for some of us, we're still on our journey. But all of us need to find that place where we bow before you, where we cry out, Lord, change me, make me more like you, save me, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we praise you and ask your blessing on today's service. In Jesus' name, amen. This is an important chapter in the book of Acts. It's transitory in that it gets us from things that were happening before Saul was converted to the things that God was doing in the church after Saul was converted. When you think about how hard and how desperate we try to help people to know Christ, to to reach them with the gospel, it's amazing because you wouldn't have picked Saul. You wouldn't have said, this is the guy. He's going to be just a great, wonderful missionary and Christian and apostle. Uh, He's going to love the Lord and give his life for the Lord. You wouldn't have said that. No one would have said that. The church didn't say that. And it makes me stop and think how many people are out there who we recognize really, truly hate God's word, or at least hate God's people, who are going to be reached over some period of time with the gospel and broken and made disciples of Christ. I recognize I can't do that work. You can't do that work. We simply can't do that work. But what we can do is pray that God would do the work. When I see this, I realize if God can change Saul, he can change anyone. So that's encouraging to me. He's changed me. I often think that person could never get saved, but then I think about my own life. And I remember how my coworkers responded when I told them I had given my life to Jesus Christ. They laughed and said, you really shouldn't joke about those types of things. So I understand that God can change us. Let's look at the life of Saul. Let's start by looking at the first two verses, and we'll recap what we've already learned about Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts. This is taking place at a time where the ministry is beginning to go out into all of the world, starting in Jerusalem and then Judea and now even Samaria. And it says, meanwhile, 
Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This man was determined. He was persecuting the Lord's disciples. He started persecuting them in Jerusalem. But that wasn't good enough for Saul. See, Saul was a Hebraic Jew from the Grecian city of Tarsus who was brought up in Jerusalem. So he was connected to everyone. He had been thoroughly trained in the law under Gamaliel beginning at the age of 14, he tells us later in the book of Acts. Remember, in Acts chapter 8, he had witnessed the stoning of Stephen. He heard every word that Stephen spoke and still rejected Jesus as his Messiah. He even approved of the crowd's decision to stone Stephen to death. He had become the defender of Judaism and the destroyer of the early church. He literally broke into Jewish homes and imprisoned those Jews that had become Christians, disciples of Christ. At this point, they weren't being called Christians, not yet. That was a term that came on later when in the church of Antioch in Syria, uh, and it was among the Gentiles. For now, they were calling them uh, Nazarenes. They were calling them uh, followers or disciples of Christ or the way, referring to that they were sort of on a different path than the rest of the Jews, the way. As a Pharisee, Saul was called to defend the truth. That was his mandate. That was his calling, yet he was determined to silence it. You know, that's something so many people that talk about the truth uh, and they're antagonistic to the gospel often want to silence it. There's a lot of that today. We see it all throughout our culture. If you can't argue with the truth, effectively you try to silence the truth. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. We see it in our world today. This man had witnessed Stephen's faithful death and testimony. That must have changed him, but it hadn't changed him for the better. (laughs) Not yet. He had chosen to ignore it, and we're told up front he was still threatening to have the disciples of Jesus put to death. Now, he knew he couldn't do this without the appropriate paperwork. So he obtained letters from the high priest in order to arrest these Jews of the way, or Christians, in Damascus, which was a city in Syria, a very ancient city in Syria. Now, Caiaphas, I'm sure, was all too willing, uh, as the high priest, to issue letters to these synagogues. He had no love for the Christians, for the disciples of Christ. And Saul, who had the support of the Sadducees, who were the high priests and those in power at the temple, he also had the support of his own sect, the Pharisees. So this man had the Sadducees backing him up, the Pharisees, he was a Pharisee. He certainly decided that it was God's call upon his life to literally wipe out this threat to Judaism. That was his heart's desire. Now, many disciples, we were told back in chapter 8, verse 1, many disciples had fled Jerusalem because of the persecution. And the persecution had broken out against the church right after Stephen was put to death. People just took off. God used that, though, to reach Judea and Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth. But now Saul wasn't content. There weren't enough Christians to arrest anymore in Jerusalem. So 
He was looking to arrest Jews who had become disciples of Jesus and bring them to Jerusalem. So everyone runs away, and he says, let's go get him. That's the heart of this man who was wicked. And you know why he was most especially wicked? Is because deep down inside, we're going to find out he knew the truth. And that's why he was so violently opposed to it. The people that oppose the gospel truth the most are the ones that deep down inside know it's true. You do not need to prove to them that it's the truth. Their violent reaction to it betrays their knowing it's true. So those within the media, those within the culture that so strive to silence us and to to disparage us and and to come out against us are actually those that deep down inside, they know it's true. They wouldn't be working so hard if they didn't know it was true. So what do you do? Well, it's not about encouraging them to believe the truth. They've chosen not to. They've chosen to reject it. They've deliberately opposed it. There's, There's not much you can do about a person like that. Even God won't violate their free will. However, God will bring a man or a woman to their knees If he so chooses. Now why does he choose? Why does he choose to reach a soul and not someone else? I don't know. But I leave that with him. It's because of who he is that lives are changed. Not because of who we are. There could be a a thousand souls and if God chooses one, that one will change. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, what about free will? There's free will. And then there's what we're going to see today, which is God bringing you to the end of your free will so that you really have no other choice but to submit to him. I can testify that that was my testimony as well. Oh, I had free will, and I exercised it for 21 years or most of those 21 years. I did. However, there came a point where God, if I can say it this way, put me in a headlock, and I had no other choice but to tap out. Why does God do that to some of us and not all of us human beings? I don't know. But it's because of who he is that he chooses some and not others. Many are called, but few are chosen. Maybe God should do the choosing, though. Don't you agree? Because he knows best. Amen? We have to leave that with him. But Saul was chosen from the foundations of the earth, and yet he's behaving with murderous threats and throwing people into prison, breaking into their homes. But you wouldn't have picked this guy. But God did. God said, give me him. And I'm so glad he does so often say, give me him, give me her. That person is a chosen vessel for my will. Well, let's continue. He was looking to arrest Jews who had become disciples of Jesus. The Jewish leaders that were persecuting the church, they, they thought that eventually they would beat this thing. That eventually they would so scare and discourage everyone that, well, this way, this way of discipleship of Jesus would just fade into oblivion. You know, our enemies today think that's what's going to happen. If they threaten us enough, if they intimidate us enough, if they shut us down and silence us and deplatform us enough that, enough that somehow we're just going to go away into the dark of night. I got news for you. It's been 2,000 years and they haven't done it yet. They've certainly tried. Saul was willing to arrest anyone, men, women, anyone who was a disciple. He wouldn't settle for anything less than destroying this perceived threat to Judaism. He also ambitiously desired 
to gain a zealous and pious reputation for himself in Jerusalem. He was, if you will, very political. Uh, he was a Pharisee, and he, of course, was trained by the, one of the greatest Pharisees, Gamaliel, and he was a young man. He had just been appointed to the Sanhedrin recently, so his whole point is to make himself look good at the expense of others. You know, like just about every politician we know, it's amazing how opinion polls are their only convictions. Not everyone, just almost every one of them. So what I can see here is a man who desired something. And isn't it interesting? Saul in Hebrew means desire. Later, his name would be changed to Paul, which means little. See, God is bringing us on a journey that starts with our desires being squashed and us being little in God's sight that God may be great in our lives. This is the beginning, just the beginning of Saul's path. But here he starts with such desire, and yet God has a desire for him. Look at verses 3 through 9. We see here Saul's confronted by the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, as he travels to Damascus, which was about 140 miles away from Jerusalem. Look at verses 3 through 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. You've heard that term, getting knocked off your high horse? This is probably where it came from. This is, this is about as low as you can go when you think very highly of yourself to be led blind into a city you were supposed to take over. You know, you're supposed to come in there and arrest people. And here you are, you're blind, you can't even find your way in the city. Boy, can God humble us? Amen? God can humble us. I want to just... I feel I need to say this, full disclaimer. Uh, I want to warn you. If God hasn't chosen you, there really is no hope. I, I mean, I don't believe in the predestination that some people teach where, like, if you want to come to God, you can't because God hasn't chosen you. I don't believe in that. But God knows those that will choose and have chosen him from the foundation of the earth. So he chooses on the basis of foreknowledge. So if God has chosen you, there is nothing you can do to prevent having a relationship with him. Pastor Tim, how could you say that? You sound like a Calvinist. No, 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 no. I just know that when God chooses somebody and he knows all things, he doesn't make mistakes, amen? So if you've been chosen by God and you haven't yet given your heart to God... Don't let it get to this extreme. Because if this is what's necessary for you to come to Christ and surrender your will, if you're chosen, it will go this way. It could get 
that bed. I have seen people chosen by God who resist God their whole lives only to be struck down and nearly destroyed that they might be saved. That's not the way you want to go. They call that the hard way. You don't want to go the hard way. Yet I'm telling you, if God has chosen you, you will go where God has called you to go. Regardless of what you think, you're chosen by God. He will get you to the place where you will exercise your will of surrender. It will be by your will according to God's will. Can I hear an amen? I know these are things that are difficult to understand. We want to give God full sovereignty over our decisions, and we want to give man full sovereignty over his decisions, which is true, both. How is that possible? There's a lot of things I don't understand. That just happens to be one of them. But I know this. How do I know I'm chosen? Because God did what was ever necessary in my life to bring me to this place that Saul finds himself now. And if you've experienced that, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't experienced it yet, but deep down inside you're suspecting that God has chosen you, brothers and sisters, go the easy way. Give your life to Christ this very moment. Don't let it get to this place. It won't have to go that far. But if you resist and you're chosen by God, it will go as far as it needs to go for you to surrender your life to him. I know this by experience. I know this according to the scriptures. I know this to be true by the power of the Spirit. It is absolutely certain that if you're chosen by God, you will eventually choose him. But what has to happen in the meantime? What do you have to go through to get there? Well, back to Saul. Saul saw a light from heaven that flashed around him as he came near Damascus. Now, there are several times in the book of Acts, several times, and sometimes in the epistles, where Paul will talk about his conversion experience. I'm going to share some of the details he he may have uh, not had recorded here in this chapter. But he saw a light from heaven. It flashed around him. Uh, He and his companions saw a light. About noon, that was brighter than the sun. The light was, as it says, blazing around them, but only Saul saw the risen Lord. They saw a light. He saw the risen Lord. And he tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. Saul heard a voice from heaven, and the voice asked him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, the bright light caused him and his companions to fall to the ground. They didn't know what was happening. And the voice that spoke to him spoke to him in Aramaic, which would it, it would have been the native language of Saul, the language of the Jews at that time. It was the language that Jesus spoke, spoke most frequently. Aramaic. And his companions, they saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking. Now, either they didn't understand because they didn't understand Aramaic, or they didn't understand because they weren't given the understanding to understand. But Saul understood. Now, whatever the case, the companions of Saul had seen a light. They, They heard something. They heard a sound. They heard something, but they didn't know what was going on. Only Saul knew what was going on. And you know, that's what God will do. People will look in your lives and they'll see God working and they'll say, what is going on? They'll see some stuff. They'll hear some stuff, but they'll, they, they're bewildered by what in the world is going on in this person's life. But you'll always know exactly what God is doing because he'll speak to you. He'll show himself to you. He will make himself clear. You need to know that. He will always make himself clear to the person that he chooses, to the person that he is reaching. Well, 
Saul asked who it was that was speaking to him, I think deep down inside he must have known. He called him Lord, and that's not necessarily Lord, you know, the way we would say Lord Jesus or Lord God in heaven. It's just a a sign of respect when something like this happens. It's probably best to use that word. Lord, who are you? But he had no idea really who he was speaking to or to whom, uh, uh, who who was speaking to him. Uh, Jesus identified himself and made it clear to Saul that he was actually persecuting him. I'm the one you're persecuting. Saul might have said, no, no, I'm just persecuting those crazy people of the way. No, because they were persecuting Jesus' disciples, they were persecuting him. Now, let me just throw this out there. All of the persecution that Christians are beginning to experience in our culture today for being Christians and having Christian values, all of that persecution can easily be stated in this way. They're not persecuting us They're persecuting him. Now, you don't want to persecute him. He's coming again. Amen? He came the first time, and he died on a cross for our sins. He saved us from our sins. He redeemed all mankind. But he's coming a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him, and also to bring judgment against those that reject him and persecute him. Now's the time to make that choice that you know you need to choose. Now's the time to surrender your heart to Jesus because judgment is coming. And it's going to begin first at the house of the Lord because that's how God always works. He works by bringing not judgment for sin against his own people, but dealing with those that are trying to persecute his people. Some are successful, some are not successful. But we know this to be true. We are still here worshiping the Lord, though there's a world out there that wants to shut us down. They'll use any excuse, be it COVID or something else, to tell you that the absolute worst thing you can do for your health is sing in church. Do you feel unhealthy right now? Because I feel pretty darn good. I know what's good for me spiritually. Jesus has made it clear to worship him with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love my neighbor, who, by the way, I have to be in the presence of my neighbor to truly love them. Zoom doesn't quite cut it. And to love my neighbor as myself. That is all of what God's word teaches. And if we can't do that, why are we here? Well, we're here. Amen? Here's the thing. The world will persecute, but God is always triumphant over all those that try to silence his word. And that's what happened here. Saul was trying to silence the word of God, the the move of God, the move of God's spirit. He didn't get very far. He didn't even make it all the way to Damascus. Well, it's interesting because Jesus commanded Saul to get up and go into Damascus and and wait there for further instructions. Sometimes God does that. He breaks us and he says, now you're just going to wait it out. It was three days, which wasn't a long, long time. But how would you like to be blind for three days? This man was blind for longer than that when you think about it. He was truly blinded to the truth. But here's what happens next. Saul's companions, they're speechless. They don't even know what to say. Having heard the sound of the voice, but having not seen anyone, they don't know what's going on. Saul was blinded by the brilliance of the light from heaven. But his companions were still able to see. 
They saw the light, but they could see. Saul saw the light, but he couldn't. What was the difference? The difference is he had seen the risen Christ, and God literally blinded him. Now, we've seen this before in the scriptures, but not to this extent. This man is blinded by God. There's a point to why God is inflicting such uh, suffering on this man. It's for his good. Sometimes we watch silently or prayerfully as our loved ones suffer. And we don't understand why God would allow such suffering, let alone be the author of it. But if bringing someone through a time of suffering ultimately breaks them and makes them who God has called them to be, I hate to say this, toward my loved ones, bring it on. Because I would rather they enter into eternity, having suffered in this life, than enter into eternity for an eternity of suffering in the next. But it is hard to watch the ones we love make bad decisions and suffer for it, isn't it? It's hard. Oftentimes we pray against it. Oh, Lord, please don't let this happen. Please. And really what we're praying, we're praying against God's wills many, many times, not all the time. But that's why we need to say, not my will, but your will be done. What if God had answered that prayer? We'd all be dead in our trespasses and sins if Jesus didn't die on the cross. So he rose again on the third day. Can I hear an amen? And he has given us newness of life. So all of that came about because of suffering. See, there's a principle there. The New Testament writers talk about it all the time. There's a purpose in suffering. When we as Christians go through suffering, there's a purpose. There was a purpose to Saul's suffering. His companions led him into Damascus by the hand. Very humbling experience. He's blind for three days, unable or unwilling to eat or drink anything. Now, his desire for God's glory had blinded him to the truth. Now, the truth of God's glory in Jesus Christ, it blinded him. And God sometimes works like that. So he's fasting, he's praying, we're told later on in verse 11. And he's fasting and praying to who? To whom? To Jesus for three whole days. That'll change you. And then God does something really interesting in verse 10. We're told that in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I like the way Ananias just went, yes, Lord. Oh, wait a minute, I'm on another call. Like, it's almost as if like he's just, it happens every day. Yes, Lord. <laughs> if God were to speak to you, is that how you would respond? No, you'd call like Fox News or something. You'd, you, you would alert everyone on your social media that you had heard the voice of God. Ananias just says, yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. (laughs) In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. See, God had already given Saul a vision of what was going to happen during those three days of prayer. Well, in verse 13, Lord Ananias answered. And I love this because Ananias is a great guy, but he knows who Saul is. And, you know, it's funny how we pray sometimes, oh, Lord, use me. And then God begins to use us and our response is, wait, Lord, I don't, you need to think again about this. This, this is, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Oh, they knew it was coming. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, exclamation point. This man is my chosen instrument 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So many people say, well, Paul wasn't called to the Jews. Well, that's not what this says. It's called to both Gentiles and Jews. He says in verse 16, the Lord says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. Saul was called to a life of suffering for Christ after he had caused so much. Well, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Oh, there's a few things I want to talk about here. Oh, Ananias, I mean, you have to feel for him. You wouldn't have wanted this job. Ananias was a devout observer of the law, we're told later on in the book of Acts, who was highly respected by all the Jews in Damascus. A highly respected man, a devout observer of the law. This man had an excellent reputation. And he knew what was about to happen in Damascus. Because he knew, he had heard, obviously, Saul was on his way. He had letters from the high priest. And he was coming in to, to arrest and round up people like Ananias and all of his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we know. But I want you to think about it. God chose him. A highly respected man to go and pray for this once very wicked man. The Lord told Ananias to go to the house where Saul was praying. Obviously, he was praying at this point. Saul had already received a vision from the Lord. He knew that God was going to send a man named Ananias to restore his sight. But Ananias had significant concerns, that's probably putting it mildly, about doing what the Lord had called him to do. You ever have significant concerns about doing what God has called you to do? Oh, the Lord's calling me to go on a missions trip. I have significant concerns about that. What are the bathrooms like? That was my first question. I'm not going to lie. I spoke to three people who went to Cuba and asked them specifics. I want to know. Well, there's not usually a toilet seat, if there's a toilet. Lord, I have significant concerns about this. Then it was to Guatemala and El Salvador and I came to the conclusion that God doesn't really much care about my significant concerns. He's concerned about me, but he wants to make sure that I submit those concerns to him by faith. Those concerns aren't going to get in the way of him using me. They say you can go by hook or crook, right? You want to make sure that you are submitted to God when he calls you to do something. Because like Saul, who was resisting God, he was humbled. But Ananias, he had concerns. And there are many Christians who aren't doing what God has called them to do because they have concerns. I used to be one of them. When God called me onto the mission field, I didn't want to go. I shared that with you guys recently. I didn't want to go. I went out of obedience. And then, over time, I found myself saying, well, maybe I can go twice this year. You know, that's what happens when you submit yourself to God because he knows what you're built for. He knows what you're made for. He made you for it. And if he's chosen you, then there's no better place to be than the place he's chosen you to be. You see, we get into trouble when we fight God's will. 
If you're resisting God's will in any way, either you're resisting his word and not giving your heart to him as a, as a Christian and, and, and being converted and uh, saved from your sins, you're not crying out to God, well, that's a miserable path. If you're not chosen, it's a miserable path, but you don't know any better and you don't care. But if you're chosen by God, you know better. If you've given your life to Christ and you're holding back because you're not doing the, thing he's, the things, I should say, that he's called you to do, that is the most miserable of all places to be as a Christian. Because you will never find satisfaction and fulfillment in this world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. That's what John told us. That's what Jesus taught us. And if you love the world more than the will of God, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to be blessed. You're always going to be miserable. Those significant concerns have their place. Their place is at the feet of Jesus. Well, Ananias, well, he knew that Saul was the defender of Judaism. He, he, he knew he was the destroyer of the church. Would you invite this guy to your home fellowship? Probably not. And you come up with a really good reason too. Well, you know, I think the Lord has given us wisdom. You know, and the kids are sleeping in the other room. And, you know, this is not the kind of person we want to bring into our fellowship. You know, we have to be cautious. We have to be wise. And I would be the first one to say all those things. But when God calls you to do something, sometimes, sometimes you have to just do it. Be very careful. Make sure you know for sure it's God. But there are times where we actually, can I say this? Put ourselves in places where we might suffer, experience things that are not pleasant, like bathrooms that aren't really bathrooms that are really more like open sewers. I mean, you haven't lived until you've gone there. So... (laughs) I just know, over the last 35 years, I've learned one thing more than anything else. If God tells you to do it, not to steal from Nike, just do it. So, he knew that Saul had these letters from the high priest. He knew he would be arrested, actually, if Saul came there and found him. And the Lord commanded Ananias to go. I like that go with a big exclamation point. Go. I don't see any explanation or addressing any of his concerns. He just basically says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You're persecuting the name of Jesus. You're making others suffer. Guess what? Now you're going to suffer. Now that's not retaliation. That's not vengeance. That's God's mercy and grace. Because that's what broke Paul. That's what broke Saul and and why he became Paul. See, God allows suffering in your life so you become more like the one who suffered for us. I know you don't want to hear that. This isn't the church where you're going to hear everything is going to be great. This isn't your best life now, church. This is the truth, church, where you're going to hear the word of God and you're going to see the people of God have suffered through the centuries for the cause of Christ and, in fact, many times given their lives. Are you okay with that? I don't care. You have to be okay with it because it's the truth. And I guarantee when we're in heaven, around the throne of God, nobody's going to say, you know, I'm a little disappointed. It's kind of anticlimactic. Didn't live up to the hype. I only give it four and a half stars. That's not going to happen, folks. All right, back to our account. The Lord had chosen Saul to carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles and their kings, and he did, as we'll see. 
The Lord had chosen Saul to carry the name of Jesus before the people of Israel, which he certainly did and suffered more at their hands than even the Gentiles. The Lord had also chosen Saul to suffer for the name of Christ. And I have to tell you this, we all have been called, if necessary, to suffer for the name of Jesus according to his will. That's why, Christians, you better get it together. The, the era in our world that we're entering into, I hear people saying, like, you think the church will be persecuted? I don't know. I read the book of Revelation. I'm not sure. <laughs> I read the Sermon on the Mount. I'm, I, I really can't tell. Listen, you have to know going into this period of history, in our nation, in our culture, that we're going to suffer. Here's your chance. Go out the back door. You'll probably get across the street, and God will do whatever is necessary to bring you back. Don't try it. It's a busy street out there. But here's what I know. I do know this. So what if we're called to suffer? You should be rejoicing like the apostles and disciples who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. That means I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I mean, if I'm suffering for the name of Jesus, is there really any doubt that I'm a Christian? Think about that for a minute. Just take that in, breathe it in. If I'm suffering for the name of Jesus, is there any doubt that I'm saved? So many people come to me and they say, Pastor, I'm just not sure I'm saved. Well, if you're suffering for the name of Christ, you are. It's kind of simple, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to suffer to be saved, but if you're saved in this world today, you're probably going to suffer. Pastor, they're making me do this at work or not do this at work, and and I might lose my job. There are other jobs out there. I'm sorry, but don't sacrifice your convictions, whatever they are, moral or otherwise. Oh, I have to do this because I want to travel. Oh, I have to do this because... You don't have to do anything. These men and women gave their lives because of their convictions. I'm not telling you what your convictions should be apart from the convictions of the gospel, but whatever your convictions are, whatever God has told you is true, you better live according to those truths. Because what else can you live for if not the truth? So, closing this up. Saul had persecuted those who called on the name of Jesus, and now he would be persecuted for that very same name. Fancy way of saying, Paul, you're going to be a Christian. Saul, you're going to be a Christian, because every Christian knows this. They will speak more or all manner of evil against us, despitefully use us, hate us, throw us in prison, Why are we surprised? I I pray that in our nation we're not going in that direction, but we might be. Eventually, we all, throughout the world, it's going to happen. So now, later, does it really matter? The important question is, are you ready and are you willing to suffer for the name of Christ? (laughs) Saul wasn't given a choice, and I don't think you have either. You haven't, and neither have I. Been given a choice. It is according to God's will. And may his will be done. Well, <clears throat> Ananias obeyed the Lord. And he went to the house of Saul, or the, Saul, uh, the house where Saul was staying, <clears throat> and praying. <clears throat> excuse me. And he restored his sight. That is, God used him to restore his sight. He placed his hands on Saul, and he embraced him as a brother. You see that? Brother Saul. I, I wonder if there was more to that conversation between God and Ananias. We don't know. We're only told that. But whatever that conversation was, Ananias' heart was changed because he said, Brother Saul. And he embraced him. And he declared that the Lord Jesus, who had appeared to Saul, had also sent him. 
He had come to restore Saul's sight that he might see again now that he could see more clearly spiritually. He had also come that Saul might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see, that keys us in as to what has already taken place. He wouldn't have said, and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, if Saul hadn't already surrendered his heart to Jesus. No one calls him Lord but by the Spirit. And you're not filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit until you've given your life to Jesus Christ. But notice we talked about this recently. Sometimes people were water baptized after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people were filled with the Holy Spirit before they even had a chance to verbally confess their faith because in their hearts they had already professed faith for God. We're going to see all different ways that people receive the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. In this case, we just know that Saul eventually was filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we're told that he needed to be baptized. Well, first, the scales fell from his eyes. That is, he could see after having been blinded by the brilliance of the light from heaven. And then he's baptized for the repentance of sins and welcomed as a believer in the church. Now, he ate, he drank, he regained his strength after three days of prayer and fasting. But this experience changed this man. But listen, I want to stress this. I don't think... This is maybe my opinion, but my observation. I don't think that Saul really thought that what he was doing was right. That is, before he gave his life to Christ. I got to believe that somewhere deep down inside, this man had been affected by all that he had experienced. First of all, he knew the word of God better than anybody, right? He, He knew the truth. He knew about Jesus. As far as we know, he hadn't met Jesus. But he saw Stephen give his life for Christ. Oh, he was approving of his death, but he still saw that. He heard Stephen witness to the vision. He was out there persecuting Christians. But there must have been something within him. Because later on in the book of Acts, when he shares the same account, he tells us something a little different that the Lord actually said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That is, it's hard for you to go against what you know is right. Now, that's amazing to me. The goads were things they they hung behind the animals, and if they tried to kick, you know, they kicked against it, and it it kept them from kicking because it wasn't a whole lot of fun to kick. And that's what he was doing. He was kicking against the truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the vision I want to leave you with as I ask Pastor Russ to come up. We could talk about God changing Saul. We can talk about how God has changed us or how God will change us. We can talk about suffering. There are Sauls out there right now that are chosen by God. And I've come to this conclusion. The only way our culture changes completely and and drastically is not just whether or not we live faithfully for Christ, although that's a very important part of it. But in living faithful for Christ and living faithfully for him, We're going to reach the culture with the gospel and the souls out there, some of whom are on cable network news maybe, professing all manner of evil. Some who are maybe even are in Washington. Some who are out there who, who, who fly the rainbow flag. Some of those who are out there who support Planned Parenthood. Some of those who are out there who support all the things we hate because we hate sin. God hates sin. We don't hate the people. We hate sin because of what it's doing to them. How are those souls going to make it into the church if more Ananiases don't? 
step outside the church and say, Brother Saul. Now, we need to be led of the Lord, but we need to share the truth uncompromised and willing to suffer for it. Stephen's suffering probably had more to do with Saul's conversion than anything else. And what if Stephen said, I didn't sign up for this? There may not have been a Saul. So our vision as we leave this place is, I want you this week to just pray one little prayer. Lord, show me all the souls in my life. Show me all those that you've chosen who are kicking against the goads, who know better and are fighting and are vocal. Show me, even as I'm watching TV, show me who the souls are. And Lord, send me as Ananias to go and to reach them with the truth and embrace them as brothers, and see them filled with the Spirit, because you know what? You can never change the testimony of a changed life. It is the most powerful witness to the truth that you and I, that we can imagine. I'll leave you with this last thought. Ananias in Hebrew means, Jehovah has graciously given. God has given us so much. He's given you so much. And he asks nothing, really, but he has called us and given us a great opportunity to bring the truth to this wicked world. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, that's our prayer. That's our heart's desire. We want to be used like Ananias to reach those souls that you've chosen, the ones we would never choose. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Empower us. Speak to us. May your speaking to us be so common that we just say, yes, Lord. And even when we have reservations, may we say, sure, Lord, I'll go. I may not understand, like Philip, I may not understand what I'm doing or where I'm going, but by faith I go in obedience to you. That's our prayer, Lord, and I pray for any heart here that's still fighting you, kicking against the goads. If there's anyone here who feels that way, this is your moment. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. Oh, Lord, I pray that these individuals would just in their hearts open up their hearts, like, like Saul who prayed for three days, just, just asking for you to reach them as they surrender their hearts to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, empower us and strengthen us by your Spirit to serve you with all of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.